If you're listening to this, that means that you're listening to the audio recording of the Facebook Live study, uh, SC Live over James 1, 1 through 4, that went up February 13th. You can find the written version as well as the video on strongchurch.org uh, in the the article titled SC Live Study James 1, 1 through 4. Uh, I hope you enjoy this. There weren't any technical issues this time. It was pretty well uh, smooth sailing as far as the the podcast went. So hope you enjoy, and I look forward to uh, bringing you another part of this study next week. All right, uh, as you come in, throw me comments. Let me know if I need to be louder or anything like that. I do have a mic set up here. I'm in the auditorium. Uh, and it's not turned on at the moment, but I can get the mic set up and project a little bit from the speakers here, and that would uh, solve any audio problems that we might have uh, going forward here. Uh, so I addressed the web notes uh, in strongchurch.org, the top article of the page right there on the home page, or if you go to article or podcast, it's the top one up there uh, listed. SC Live Study, James 1, 1 through 4. That's all of my notes for tonight so that you can follow along. Even if you can't see the screen, uh, all I'm going to be doing is just highlighting the words that we're talking about. Before we get into the study, which we're about to do, uh, I want to remind you about uh, the Grasping God's Word giveaway that I'm going to be doing. I love this book. Fantastic study book, uh, and I want to give a new copy away to somebody who's going to use it. And if you're tuning in to this study, be it live or after the fact, you're somebody who uh, I, I think is probably going to put that to good use. Uh, so share this video at some point, whether you're watching it now or later. Share this, hashtag SC Live, so that I can look it up and know that you uh, shared these things. You'll be entered in, and we'll do this for a few more weeks. And uh, every time you share each of these videos, it gives you another entry into uh, the running there as well. So share this around if you're interested in the book. It's a fantastic study book. It's about, uh, it was 25 bucks when I looked on Amazon. So it's it's not a cheap book, uh, but it's great. And I, I've used my copy over and over and over again uh, a lot. Uh, hopefully we don't cut out this time. Uh, I know I'm lagging watching the video here, but we should be better. Uh, I moved it to the auditorium for the sake of uh, the Wi-Fi itself. Uh, that it, we shouldn't get disconnected. That was the problem last time uh, where I was. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the study here, and we're going to go, I say 30 minutes. We're five minutes into this little section here, so if I'm five minutes over, I'm right on time. Uh, here's the goal of our study tonight. So find out what it means to, one, find joy, two, persevere, and three, become perfected through the process of trials. So we want to we answer those three things or see how those three, three things are accomplished through, uh, through what James is trying to say here in verses 1, 1 through 4. Uh, and that's all we're going to cover. Uh, and we may not even get to finish that little section uh, just tonight uh, with the time that we have. But we're going to try to find out what it means to find joy, persevere, and become perfected through trials. Uh, and we'll, we'll accomplish this. The way I'm going to handle this study is to break down these few verses by specific words uh, and talk about those words on their own and how they fit into the grander context of this uh, section of uh, four verses here that we're looking at. Uh, and I think that's a great way to, whenever you're studying uh, a bigger passage, uh, whether it be, you know, 30 verses or you're just looking at a few verses like we are tonight, uh, that's a great way to handle that. When there is so much stuff packed into a section 
Uh, a great way to study it is to just to break it down. Uh, one of the ways that I used to color, uh, you know, inside the lines, if there was a giant picture, what I would do is uh, I would draw with my crayon the, the marks uh, and, and make the picture smaller. So instead of coloring this giant thing red, I'm coloring this spot red, and then this one, then this one, then this one. Uh, and I was still coloring the whole thing red, but I made it more manageable for me uh, in, uh, by breaking it down into smaller pieces uh, for me to be able to handle more easily. That's the same way I approach uh, the way I study Scripture, is to take larger sections, break them down into smaller sections, and break that down smaller, uh, even, even still, so that I have kind of a good grasp on what's happening in the, in the small places. And once I have those things down, the bigger picture becomes more clear. Uh, so that's how we're going to handle this tonight. Uh, on the outline, there are a bunch of definitions on there. They're taken from Strong's Concordance, but I, I dropped a link to blueletterbible.org, uh, which is a great place. Uh, if uh, There are a few words here where I'm going to mention the Greek, how it's defined, and things like that, and it's on your outline there on Strong Church. Uh, and in all those places, you can go to Blue Letter Bible to get access to Strong's, to get access to an interlinear that you can interact with and click on and see where words are used in other places in the Bible and see how they're used and defined as well. So uh, that's a great—and it's free. So it's a fantastic resource for you to use uh, when you're studying. Uh, here's James 1. Chapter 1 through 4, we're going to read all four of these verses and start breaking them down. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's James 1, uh, verse 1, and I, I hope you can see it. If you can't, don't worry. It's on your outline. It's the exact same. We're just highlighting things. And I want us to start off with James. Uh, though there is some debate on who the writer is, uh, there, are, there are lots of James uh, in, throughout the New Testament. Uh, it seems to most people that James, the brother of Jesus, is the one who wrote uh, this particular letter. Uh, and there are a few reasons for that. I didn't get into why some people think about the others uh, and some of the problems with that potentially. Uh, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on the authorship, but I did want to give a little bit since we didn't talk about it too much in the first study. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, is first of all mentioned as the brother of Jesus. He was a doubter at first in Matthew 13 and verse 55. Uh, he's not a believer. Uh, but he comes around and changes his ways on that. In Galatians 2.9, we see him hanging around with Peter and John, uh, the apostles. So already there, a big change from Matthew uh, 13. Now he's hanging out with uh, Peter and John and hanging around them. In Acts chapter 15, verse 13, he stands up. He's at the Jerusalem council where they're uh, talking about all these things concerning circumcision uh, and the Gentiles and all this, and they... James stands up among that group of people. He's a respected uh, person among that group, uh, and he speaks and presents his case uh, for what he believes. Galatians 2.9, again, he's recognized as a pillar in the church, uh, that he's somebody who has a great reputation, that he is one of the pieces that helps uphold what the church is. And so you have James in all of these places. 
being talked about from, uh, yes, he is a doubter at first, he doesn't believe at first, but as you go through the New Testament and all these different places in Acts and in Galatians, he's recognized as uh, having a great reputation among the churches and being somebody who's respected. Uh, there's even some stuff outside of the Bible that speaks about, uh, that speaks about James here. Uh, history records Eusebius in particular, and I put the reference uh, to where that is in your notes. Uh, he's recorded in history as being an elder uh, in the Jerusalem church. Now, that may or may not be true. That's not God-breathed, inspired stuff. But historically speaking, he's regarded as being one of the, uh, one of the elders there in the Jerusalem church. So pretty cool. You've got a guy who goes from non-believer to all of these things, pillar, elder, uh, speaker in a grand group of people, and uh, for all those reasons, uh, we tend to push Jesus, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, as the author of this. Uh, there's some more to be said on that, but we'll save it for another time. Twelve tribes, we talked about this last week, and the reason twelve tribes is highlighted, this is one of the indicators cluing us in to who our audience is. Okay, this is a group of Jewish Christians. Twelve tribes is something they immediately connect with, uh, we're not dealing with old Israel, but we're dealing with people who have that as their background. And so they hear 12 tribes, they're thinking, oh, the people of God. And that immediately connects them uh, with their, the writer. Uh, James and them have this connection because of the language being used. But also for us, it, can, it clues us into who is being written to here, Jewish backgrounded Christians. But even more than that, the word dispersion we talked about last week a little bit, not only does our audience have Judaism in their past, they have persecution in their present. They are dispersed out of Jerusalem, uh, probably because of the events of Acts 8, uh, where you see the church, uh, after Stephen preaches, he's killed for that preaching, and then it's, it's open season on Christians. You've got Saul approving of that murder, dragging people uh, out of their homes, committing them to, to jail and all that. Uh, and then the church goes out of Jerusalem, back home, uh, and all the while they are preaching the gospel. We'll come back to that uh, a little bit later uh, if we have time. Uh, so we're not just dealing with new Christians. We're dealing with a new religion. And these are some of the first adopters of that new religion. And so it's not just that okay, I have committed my life to something different now, which is a scary thing to do, but it's I've committed my life to something different that has just come onto the scene, and now I'm being persecuted for it. And so there are a lot of things going on through the minds of the people who are being written to here. Uh, this audience contains brand new Christians in every sense of the word new. Uh, they aren't just new to Christianity. Christianity is new to the world. And that's the background of what's being written here. We, we uh, can have a tendency to be pretty harsh on this audience. Uh, they make a lot of mistakes. They're, they're making a lot of mistakes as James is writing this to them. Uh, but they're also, they're in transition. And they're scared. If they're paying attention, they're, they're freaked out by what's coming their way because persecution is uh, potentially right at their door. And they're on the run, going back home with this new change in life. Uh, that they've committed themselves to. And so, yeah, while they're making a lot of mistakes, uh, it's, it's pretty early on, uh, and they have room for improvement. That's why I think James cares so much about these people. 
All right, we went through verse one real quick. There's not a lot there. I do like that he gives this grand opening of James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Hi. You know, just throws a little greetings out there, and now he's going to jump in. Uh, James is going to be harsh with his audience. They've got a lot of things that they need to correct, and he's going to jump right into it with all those things. But I find that uh, greeting to be a little bit humorous. All right, here's verse 2, and we're going to spend a little bit more time with these next few verses. And I'm going to make sure I'm watching the clock. I don't think we're going to get through all four verses. We're going to go 30 minutes and see where we go. Uh, Count is the first word I want us to look at. Unsuspecting word. You know, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials, meet trials of various kinds. Uh, The actual definition for this word is a little bit confusing when we first jump into it. It actually means ruler or leader. Uh, There are a couple references in the notes on strongchurch.org for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6, Luke chapter 22 and verse 26, both use this same Greek word, but it's leader. Uh, That's that's how it's translated, ruler or leader. Uh, And you might have uh, in some of your translations, depending on what you're using, uh, count or consider it all joy. And when you slot in the word leader or ruler or lead or rule in this case, it can be a little confusing at first glance. But here's here's what we're dealing with. Uh, it's more than just look at the thing that you're going through and count it all joy. What James is saying here right off the bat is when you are in a trial, and a trial is a negative event. Now, it, it leads to a positive outcome, potentially, uh, or a negative outcome. It all depends on you, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but you have a negative event that's happening to you. And James says to consider it all joy, to, to count it all joy. What he's telling these people is, regardless of the circumstance, which is bad, it's a negative circumstance, regardless of what's going on, lead out your mind, the way that you're seeing the event. Think about that, not in terms of what's happening, but in terms of what will happen if you handle this the right way. He's telling them, to let uh, their mind determine their attitude, not to let their circumstances determine what their attitude's going to be. It's against human nature uh, to look at a horrible event and say, okay, this is fine, or, you know, I like this. I'm joyful about this. That's, that's not what we want to do. We want to complain. Uh, we want to ask the question, and let me know if you've heard this before, why is there evil pain and suffering in the world? You're right? That's, that's the question that's asked because, well, why are these bad things happening? And when bad things happen, we want to know why. We want an explanation. We want to know why it's us. We want to look for all the ways to, to fix it, but we very rarely sit down and go, okay, all right, I'm going to grow from this. It's a growing experience. I should be joyful about this. But that's what James is telling them to do. Lead out your mind decide in the midst of the bad times that you're going to say, you know what, I'm not going to be pulled down by this. This is an opportunity for me to grow and for me to become more like who God wants me to be. Uh, We're moving on now to the word joy. Uh, When you see joy, uh, the way it's defined, cheerfulness, calm, delight, or gladness, uh, which sounds weird. Be joyful about the trial. Well, that's is and isn't what James is saying. Uh, James isn't saying be happy that bad things are happening to you because 
you know, it's a good thing that bad things are happening to you. Uh, James is encouraging the joy that you think about the bad thing you're going through with joy because of what's going to happen on the other side of it. What's going to happen when it's all over and done with and, and out of the way? Uh, James wants these people to, while going through these horrible things, to understand that it gets better. And so you need to think about the outcome, not what you're going through right now. And so we consider these trials joy. Uh, there's more of this stuff on the website at strongchurch.org. I'm not going to cover absolutely everything uh, because at the moment I only have 15 minutes. So uh, here's the next word. Uh, brothers, and the reason I'm highlighting this, it's one of our key words that I mentioned in the first study. Uh, this is James' version of the, the bless your heart rule. If you don't know what that is, uh, just one little quick thing here. Uh, the bless your heart rule is, you know, she's the ugliest person that I've ever seen. Bless her heart. And that's the, the phrase that makes everything okay. Uh, you can say whatever you want, as mean as you want, uh, as long as you qualify it with Bless your heart. I feel sorry for you. Well, this is James' kind of version of that. He is going to deliver this heavy truth, this thing that they're not doing, and hit them with this hard and difficult to understand thing, and then say, brothers, you know, remember, I am like you. This is a lesson that I have to learn too. Uh, this isn't just for you. It's also for me. I am your, your brother. I'm one of these parts of the 12 tribes, all right? I'm part of this new religion. I'm, I'm on the run with you too, brothers. And so this is James' way of connecting with his audience, helping uh, not necessarily to soften the blow, but to get his point to be followed a little more. If, if you remove all the brothers, and there's uh, 19 or 20 of them, uh, there's 20 of them in the text uh, of all of James. You pull all the brothers out, this letter becomes far more harsh, but that brothers is there to decrease that a little bit uh, and to help uh, James be a little more understood with his audience and accepted uh, in these truths that he's giving. Uh, here's the next word, uh, the word meet. This is a, a word that expresses to us the, timings, uh, the timing of trials, uh, when they happen. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, that Luke records for us. And as he's writing that, he's talking about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the text says he fell among robbers. That phrase, fell among, is the same word for the word meet here. Did the guy going from Jericho to Jerusalem plan to fall among robbers? No. Did he plan to be robbed? Did he plan to be... He didn't plan for any of that. It's an unfortunate event that just happened. He didn't plan. He wasn't ready for it. It just came out of nowhere. Well, James uses that word here, and that clues us into when trials happen. Trials are sudden. You don't wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to have a bad day today. I'm going to decide to have a horrible loss in my family. I'm going to decide to have this thing go wrong with my car. I'm going to decide to be fired today. You don't plan to have a bad day they just happen. And it's not an easy thing for us. Uh, it's not an easy thing to, to deal with. And they happen to you. And so this, this expands even a little more what James is trying to get across with the idea of leading out in your mind with joy. 
this unexpected bad thing happens to you. And James says, when that happens, whenever that is, and it's going to happen, it's going to happen frequently throughout your lifetime, count it all joy. Choose to, in that moment, not look at the horrible, but look at the good that will be produced on the other side. Uh, next here, we're talking about trials. What in the world are trials? Uh, this text tells us here, just right after this, uh, that trials are of various kinds. That word means many colored or varied. Uh, and the way one of my instructors kind of delineated what trials are, separated out for us what trials are, uh, and this is on your, your notes there on strongchurch.org. Uh, you have persecution, which is hostility from others, people trying to hurt the faith you have. You have affliction, something that causes pain or suffering or sickness. You have suffering, number three, anything that causes unpleasantness in your life. And you have adversity, difficulties, or a series of unfortunate events. So trials could be uh, something that comes from outside. Trials could be something, a thought from within that harms you. In fact, it, at the end of chapter 1, uh, not the end, closer to the middle there in verse 13 and onwards, he starts talking about temptation. Uh, and temptation is a form of a trial. It's something from within. It's a specific type of trial, uh, but it's, it's a trial. And so when you think about trials, it's, it's anything from the small thing somebody said, this thought that you're thinking, to all these things that happen to you. You have a, a loss in the family, and then your car blows up, you lose your job. It's this series of things. Well, that's a trial. It's a long trial with a lot of things going on, uh, but they, they come in all shapes and sizes. And what I want us to note there before we go on, uh, trials happen to everybody. Uh, bad things happen to all people. Uh, some worse things happen to to others than maybe what happened to you, uh, but bad happens to all of us. And uh, something that I consider a trial might not be something you consider to be a trial. Uh, it might be something that to you seems small, it doesn't really affect you, but it's a trial for me. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, when James is dealing with handling these trials with joy, thinking about these trials with joy, it doesn't matter if you think what you're going through is worse than what somebody else is going through. It's still a trial for them. And it's still difficult in that moment to think of those things as joy. And the application that we'll give at the end of this tonight, the, the action that I'll have you take, uh, fits right along in with all of this. Uh, here's what I want us to see from uh, verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This word testing uh, is used in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. That's the other time in the New Testament we see it, and I believe these are the only two times uh, if, I, if I looked that up correctly. Uh, and that passage uh, illustrates for us pretty well what it means to be tested. Here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's Peter in chapter 1, verse 6. Then he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Those two verses in 1 Peter 1, uh, 6 and 7 are the, the same exact thing that James is trying to get across here. Uh, this idea of you're going through trials and they're various and it's going to test your faith, but if you go through it, 
Here is the outcome of it. Uh, and that's exactly what James is trying to do here uh, in, his, in his text. Uh, but Peter talks about gold and how it's tested by fire. Uh, and the idea there, if you don't know how gold purification works, uh, the way it works uh, is that you, you put the gold in and it has all these impurities and things and you crank the heat up. Well, the impurities rise to the top. And then you scrape all that stuff off, but you're not done. You crank the heat up even more, and it gets hotter. The trial gets harder to deal with, and more impurities rise to the surface. And you continue to do that until you don't see impurities rising to the top, and that's how you know the goal that you have is pure completely because you have tested it and tested it until all of the stuff that shouldn't be in there isn't in there anymore. And you have James kind of using that same idea. And on my screen, as I'm talking right now, what's on the screen or what's on the video is that I'm on the dispersion word still. That's how far this is lagging. I hope that you're getting us in real time. I'm sorry if I'm not responding to things because I'm not seeing, uh, seeing comments yet. And honestly, you may be lagging just as bad as this is. I hope not. Uh, but the testing here is, is this same idea. These trials test your faith. Not so that your faith will be broken, though that does happen. And you can probably think of people in your life who that's happened to. But that's not why trials happen to us. It's not meant to break the faith. And I don't believe God sends these trials on us, but we'll talk about that here in a, in a few, uh, few weeks from now. But when these trials happen to us, whatever those trials may be, that tests our faith. It cranks the heat up. Because there are things in our life that need to rise to the top and be sifted out. And as that happens, what he says there in verse 4, and we'll get to in a moment, may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, this is part of the process. You have to be tested. That heat has to be cranked up. The impurities have to rise to the top and be taken out so that we can become more like who we're supposed to be. Here's the next word. Uh, the testing of your faith. This is another one of our keywords. That's why I'm highlighting it. Uh, at its core, this is the belief, trust, or confidence in God. Uh, trials have a tendency to take us away from all of that. We ask the question, why is there bad in the world when a trial is happening? But we don't, in the middle of that trial, go, you know, God has been so good to me that this little trial I'm going through isn't that big of a deal. We don't tend to think that way. The way we tend to think is, this trial is horrible, why do bad things happen? And we focus on all the negative. Trials tend to pull us away. If we're not careful, they'll pull us away from the goodness of God. They'll, they'll shake our faith uh, instead of helping us make that faith better uh, because it pulls us away from focusing on God's goodness, on all the things that he has uh, given to us uh, and uh, provided for us. Here's the next word, uh, steadfastness. This testing of our faith produces steadfastness, the ability to continue onward. Sports analogy is the best thing that I can give to this. You have people who practice, football players practice two-a-days in the summer, and it's unbelievably hot, and they go twice, and they, they practice hard over and over and over again, and they push the limits of what they're able to do. Why? Not because practice is fun. It's horrible. Uh, but you practice so that you're ready for the big thing. Well, this is similar to that. You know, if you never practice and then you get out on the field, you get out on the court, you're not going to be ready to go. You haven't been tested enough yet. 
But then when you think about it this way, there are some teams that practice, they, they're ready to go, and they steamroll a bunch of opponents, but then they have that one game where they're tested even further. And they've practiced so hard, and they've been able to take out all these other teams, but they encounter this other team who outmatches them. And so they have to push themselves to the next limit. That's the heat being cranked up. That's the, the impurities rising to the top. You don't have a lot of room for mistakes. You've got to get those out of here and play as best you can. Well, that doesn't happen unless these trials come. If you can just steamroll every team and never face a challenge, first of all, you'll face a challenge eventually. We don't get to skate through life not facing any trials. Uh, so if we try to avoid trials and bad things uh, throughout our life, we are avoiding opportunities to grow, and we are seriously setting ourselves back for when that big trial happens to us. You know, if you actively avoid, uh, I, I'm not going to go say this, I'm just going to ignore this person, I'm just going to, and we've seen this before loads and loads of times. I know I have, I'm sure that you have as well, too, where you've got... Uh, maybe a problem with somebody else, and instead of talking to them about it, you're just going to ignore it. You're going to let it go away on its own. And a lot of times that just turns into worse and worse stuff. You can't avoid trials. They happen. And the reason we count it all joy is because that testing of the faith, as hard as it is, as awful as it is to be in the fire that keeps getting cranked up, it produces steadfastness in us, this ability to persevere, to continue onward, uh, Definition-wise, to stand our ground and bear up under the pressure of things. And this is an essential part of the Christian growth process. I know that I am almost out of time, but we're almost done here with this. Last verse, verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, the word perfect is one of our key words, and it's actually used twice here. The word full and the word perfect. Uh, in, and I'm using ESV, and both, both of those words in the Greek are the same exact word. And it's this word, our key word for mature. Uh, I love this definition for the word. It doesn't mean flawless. When you see the word flaw, that, that you may be perfect and complete, that you would be uh, flawless, you wouldn't have any, any blemishes on you, there wouldn't be anything wrong with you or how you do things. That's not what's being talked about here. What James is saying is that by being perfect and complete, you'll be mature. Or here's, and this is the definition I love, you will reach your designed end. Something that is perfect or full or mature is something that has reached what it was created to be. Something that it was designed to do. The the example that... Uh, uh, my instructor at school gave me was, uh, you have this uh, brand new screwdriver, you just bought it, you pull it out of the package, and you have this nail that needs to be driven into the wall. Well, you have this, this per, it's a perfect screwdriver, it's brand new, it's never been used, never been touched, and you pull it out of its thing. Is it perfect? Yes, in the sense that it doesn't have flaws. It's never been used. It's, it's, it's amazing. But it's not reaching its designed end, it's not perfect in that sense, for putting a nail into the wall. And then you reach into another drawer, and you've got this old beat-up hammer that you've had for years, and it's, it's got wares in it. Parts of it have uh, worn down over the years of use. It's dulled a little bit at the top, but you take it, and it sends that nail right into the wall just like you need it. 
is that hammer perfect? It's got flaws. It's worn down. It's old. But it's reached its designed end, which is to put a nail into the wall. And what you have James talking about here is that as you go through trials, if you count those trials all joy, not because you like bad things happening to you, but because you like the steadfastness that it provides for you, the, the growing of your faith that it provides for you. If you can think of trials in that way, when they happen, the more they happen, and the more you think of them that way, the more you're going to get steadfast and get through those things and be able to handle more and more tests of your faith, and you're going to reach this point where you have reached your designed end. I talked about just a, just a moment ago that steadfastness, this testing of faith, is a part of the Christian growth process. And we talk about growing as Christians. What's that mean? Growing as a Christian does not mean accumulating knowledge and saying, well, I have a lot of Bible knowledge here. I'm a, I'm a smart Bible guy. It's way more than that. Okay, why do we accumulate Bible knowledge? Hopefully it's to affect the way that we live the way that we respond to other people because we know a little bit more about how God wants us to do things. That's growth. The accumulating knowledge part, yes, but not in and of itself. The accumulating of that knowledge to change our actions to fit more uh, like God would have us live. Uh, the other part of it is we, we don't uh, have events or we don't try to plan things or actions, ministries where we go out and help people because that's growth. Doing things is growing. Well, yes and no. The growing process is helped by those actions, but we don't, do the, we don't say, because I've done these actions, I'm growing as a Christian. By doing those actions, by serving other people, we're becoming more like Christ, which is our designed end. We're created to be like Christ. When you become a Christian, you start this journey of, I am going to get closer to my Father I'm going to become more like the image of his son. And what you have James saying here is, listen, you're going to have stuff that really tests your faith, and it's going to be hard. And it's not going to happen once. It's going to happen over and over again throughout your life. And as you look back on things 20 years ago, things that troubled you then, that were trials for you then, aren't going to seem like trials now. But that's only because as you were going through that, you said, I'm not going to let this get me down. I am going to instead push through, persevere, and be exactly who I need to be. And the more you do that, the more you're ready to handle more. And every time you get through it, that's more and more of these impurities rising to the top. And it's getting you closer and closer to being who God created you to be. Uh, that is in the image of his son. There's a lot going on in these four verses. I, I love the book of James. I love what he presents here and what he opens with. He doesn't mess around uh, with any of this. Uh, I have up here on the slides uh, the kind of the, the equation. That's, that's how my instructor kind of laid it out. Here's the process of making trials effective. Trials happen to you. It causes you to have a testing of your faith. Uh, which leads to steadfastness if you see things the right way. We've talked about the word wisdom. That was one of our key words, seeing things the way God sees them. If you see these trials the way God sees them, 
then it's going to produce steadfastness in you and ultimately get you to your designed end. Really cool thought there. Uh, it's not easy to do. When bad things are happening in the moment, think about what it's going to produce in your life. This bad thing, and you might have something bad happening to you right now, that thing happening to you right now, if you push through it and you stick with God and you keep going with Him, it is going to get you closer to being the person that you were created to be. Here's what I want us to end with. I want all of these lessons that we do, and I, if the video, if the live video messed up, the recording is going to be on here, and I'll uh, continue to do some troubleshooting. I apologize for that. Uh, I want all of these lessons to end with a practical piece of application for us. I, I don't want you to leave this study going, hey, I learned a lot, and then close the computer and not do anything with it. Okay, if we're, if we're going to grow, right, if we're going to reach our designed end, it's understanding what God wants, doing what God wants, because that's what Jesus did. Uh, he taught, he learned, he served people. And if we want to be like him, that's what we need to do too. Uh, so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, I don't want to say encourage. Here's what I'm challenging you to do. Uh, this is the action uh, I want you to take after having studied these four verses. All of us has gone through trials. We're going to go through more trials. Consider some of the trials that you have gone through in your life. Okay, think about those things. Make a list of how these trials, and, and do this with your family. If, uh, if you're studying with your family, do this with them. Make a list of how these trials have helped shape you into the Christian you are today. And then make a second list laying out how you can use those trials, those experiences to help other people who are going through similar trials. Okay, for example, if you're, if you're sitting through and thinking through your life and saying, okay, I, I had a, a horrible loss, you know, I lost, my, I lost one of my parents, and it was one of the worst things in my life. It really, it really tested me. It really pushed me. Okay, write out how it did that. You know, it caused me to lean more upon my, my church family. Uh, it caused me to look at uh, some of the older men or older women, women in the congregation and lean on them for experience. Uh, whatever it was, make that list of all the things that it challenged you to do and pushed you into. And then from there, how can you use that trial, that experience, or those trials, if you have multiple ones you wrote down, how can you use those things to help somebody else? Maybe there is a kid in your congregation who just lost his father. Okay, well, you've been through that. And while it's not going to be the same for both of you, there are things that you can provide for him or her uh, that took you a while maybe to learn, uh, having gone through the trial yourself. Write those things down, trials you experienced, how they helped you grow, how they helped you become perfected and, and to be the person God wants you to be. And then write out how you can use those to help other Christians get to where they need to be as well. Uh, that's the lesson for today. Again, share this video after the fact, uh, right now as we're closing things up live, uh, and hashtag it SC Live. That's what the slide has on it there. Uh, and I'll enter you in to win this fantastic Bible study book, Grasping God's Word. I absolutely love it. It's a new copy, and it'll be sent right to you. We'll do this for a couple more weeks, and then I'll get those things sent out. Uh, this is the study. Thank you for those of you that joined me. Sorry that uh, there was such a lag, and uh, hopefully you commented. Sorry I didn't respond to any of those comments, but I'm glad you're here, and I'm looking forward to being with you again next week.